0: Amen. Thank you, Ben. And uh, good morning to everyone. If you uh, don't know me, my name is Ben. I'm part of the team here. And uh, it's good to be here this morning. You might have remembered uh, early in the series me telling you about Minor Mishan's little puppy called London. Um, that's my wife Michan and little London on the screen and she's growing up and and we talked about the the poop cycle. London would poop. I would get angry and discipline her and I felt compassion. I mean, look at that face. I would let her back inside again. We were all good and then she pooped again and and the notorious poop cycle went on. Now, I'm happy to report this morning that the poop cycle has finished. Let's get the band up, let's worship. No. <laughs> but the poof cycle has finished. It has changed because London has stopped rebelling against our rules. And we'll see as we look at the period now in which Samson was the judge of Israel, that this cycle also changed. Now, John and Adam asked me to preach this morning because they thought I looked similar to Samson. Um, I don't know if that's a good reason for someone to be preaching, but hey, here I am. And uh, the judges' cycle has changed. And if you can't remember the four steps in the judges' cycle, let me remind you again. The four steps were rebellion, retribution, repentance and rescue. Israel would rebel against God. They would worship false idols. Then God would give them retribution. He would judge them. He would give them over to their enemies. Then Israel would, would repent. They would, they would cry out to God. So then God would rescue them and restore them. But then Israel would go and rebel again. And this was the judge's cycle that we saw throughout this series. So what has changed in Samson's time? Well, The downward spiral has taken its toll on Israel. Israel has drifted further and further from God, so much so that we don't even see the third step in the Judges cycle today. We do see the first two steps in Judges 13 verse 1. It says, And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for forty years. We see rebellion again, and we see God giving them over to the Philistines as retribution. The first two steps of the judges' cycle are there, but this is where we see the judges' cycle change. Throughout the next four chapters during the period of Samson, we do not see the people cry out or repent or return to God in any way, not once. They have descended further and further into corruption. In fact, at this point in time, the people of God have accepted the situation they are in. Israel seems to have lost all sense of their original purpose as God's people. They seem to have lost all sense of their original purpose to drive out the inhabitants of the land that God had promised them. Instead, they are coexisting with the Philistines. And they seem to have accepted the rule of the Philistines in their land. And their identity as the people of God is, is fading away from their awareness that the holy nation of Israel is headed for extinction because they are assimilating with Philistine culture. So what is going to happen with their covenant with God? God had promised their, Abraham, their ancestor Abraham the land of Canaan in Genesis 17 verse 8. He said in Genesis 17 verse 8, "...and I will give to you, Abraham and to your offspring after you, the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession. So what is going to happen? Israel find themselves deep in depravity. Their situation is bleak. So how will God respond? Your default answer to this question reveals much about your understanding of God. I wonder what you would do if you were God. Would you give up on Israel? Would you give them what they deserve? Leave them to suffer the consequences of the rebellion again and again and again? What is your default response? In the period of Samson, indeed, in the whole book of Judges, we encounter a God who is scandalously gracious, who is unrelentingly loving, God doesn't fit into our neat little boxes and explanations. He doesn't do things the way we would expect him to. Instead, in the period of Samson, he skips over step 3 and continues on with step 4 of the judges cycle, rescue. So God raises up Samson, the final judge of the book. And we read in Judges 13 verse 2 to 5 about this. It says, there's a certain man named there was a certain man of Zora of the tribe of the Danites whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, "Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore, be careful and drink no strong wine, no no wine or strong drink, and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin." To save Israel from the hand of the Philistines, Samson was to be the Saviour of God's people. And as we've established, Israel has not repented. There is no sign, and there's no sign that even Manoah and his wife were seeking God. God simply chose this unlikely couple to be the parents of the Saviour of Israel. And I really love what Dale Ralph Davis says about this. He says, If Yahweh's help were given only when we prayed for it, only when we asked for it, only when we had sense enough to seek it, what paupers and orphans we would be. The truth is, God is gracious. Samson was the only judge chosen before he was born. And Samson wasn't the saviour of Israel because he chose God. He was the saviour of Israel because God chose him. And this is a strong theme in the scriptures. God is completely free to choose whomever he will. And this is an important truth for us to imprint on our hearts because we haven't chosen God. He has chosen us. This is good news because it means that we are secure. Our favour with God is not dependent on what we do. Our favour is assured because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. So if you're here this morning and you're not sure if, if God loves you, you're not sure if you can come back to him after you've sinned against him, you're not sure if he is close because you haven't spent regular time with him, well, take heart. His grace is stronger than your weakness. And his love is greater than your ugliness. God is gracious. And even now, he holds out to you the gospel. He holds out to you forgiveness. Will you receive it? Will you turn to him? These verses not only highlight the grace of God, but they also give us some important information about Samson. It says that Samson was to be a Nazarite from the womb. The word Nazarite carries with it the idea of consecration. That is, Samson was to be consecrated to God. He was to be holy, absolutely set apart for God's purposes. And the Nazarite vow was usually something that a person took voluntarily for a period of time to devote themselves to God. You can read about it in Numbers chapter 6. And those who took the Nazarite vow separated themselves to the Lord and in doing so they were to abstain from three things. Number 6 teaches that if they violated any one of these three things during the Nazarite vow, that the whole vow became void, that they were to cleanse themselves and start again. So, what three things were they to abstain from? Well, the first thing is they were to abstain from anything to do with grapes. I don't really know why that is. Uh, they made wine out of strong out of grapes, so they weren't meant to drink strong drink or wine. So, but anyway, they weren't to touch grapes. They didn't like rabina, for example. Uh, second thing is they were not to cut their hair. The ESV Study Bible comments on this, saying, The Nazarites' uncut hair reminded other people of their dedication to God's service. In this way, the dedication of the Nazarites was a challenge to every Israelite to follow the Lord wholeheartedly. That's number two. And number three, they were not to go near the dead. This has to do with ritual cleanliness. The people of Israel could not be in relationship with the holy God unless they were clean. So, Samson was to do these three things. He was to be a man completely set apart for God. He was to be an example of what it looks like to follow the Lord wholeheartedly. Did he fulfill his God-given vow? Did he deliver Israel? Well, let's find out. Let's skip over to the next chapter where... Samson is now a full-grown man. Judges 14, and reading verses 1 to 3, it says, Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. But his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you must go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. Samson was meant to deliver Israel from the Philistines, but instead he decides to marry one of them. He is rude and arrogant. He he practically commands his parents to get her for him. And when you consider Israelite culture, this is absolutely subversive. The the father was the head of the household. He was the one who exercised authority and he was even meant to choose wives for his sons. Sadly, Samson's life turns out to be far more about his dedication to himself than his dedication to God. The curse of sin plays itself out in his life. And that small phrase that he utters at the end where he says, she is right in my eyes, should set the warning bells off. Samson is being ruled by sin. Remember when I went through Genesis 1 when I preached earlier in the series? Talked about how God had made us in his image. And our image, in Genesis 1 verse 26 to 27, our purpose was to live under God's rule and we were to rule over his creation. And remember how we went through Genesis 1 and we saw that God declared after every day that it was good. He is the one, therefore, who, who declares what is good and right, Yet the curse of Adam and Eve came in when they decided that the fruit of the forbidden tree was good for them, contrary to what God has said. Genesis 3 verse 6 says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her passive husband, who was with her, and he ate. When they rebelled against God, the curse of self-rule entered the human story. We rejected God's rule over us and decided to rule ourselves instead. And this has led to every tragedy known to human history. Self-rule is bad news. It leads to death and destruction. And this is one of the key lessons of Judges. Sin, self-rule, rebellion, it all leads to To death, It is a downward spiral. And now that we have progressed this far into the book of Judges, the spiral is getting out of control. Samson is ruled by his own desires. He is impulsive and throughout his story we see this manifest itself in a lack of sexual control. He was meant to do what was right in the Lord's eyes, but instead he did what was right in his own eyes. Can you see the curse of sin working in that? His tragic life anticipates the final sentence of the book of Judges, where it says, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. The downward spiral is taking its effect. Israel is so dark, so lost, that their leader and supposed deliverer, Samson, is marrying their oppressors. Yet there is something greater at work than the desires of Samson. We just read about his foolish desire to marry the Philistine enemy. Now let's look at the next verse together. Judges 14 verse 4. It says, His parents did not know that this was from the Lord, who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines. Now Samson may not have been obedient to God's calling on his life. He may not have been seeking to deliver Israel from captivity. But God was working. God is gracious. When we are faithless, he is faithful. So God uses even the sinful choices of Samson to begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. You know, God could have left them in their situation. He had every right to. He could have left them in step two of the judges' cycle. But out of his great mercy and love, he acts. And he uses Samson's marriage to put a wedge between the comfortable relationship between Philistia and Israel. Daniel Block, a commentator, he says, Yahweh is determined, Yahweh is the the name for Israel's God, Yahweh is determined to shatter the status quo. Samson is his tool chosen to rile up the Philistines, and this woman offers the opportunity to make it happen. Samson's sense of calling may have been eclipsed in the minds of the man and his parents, but with God... It had not. God was determined to fulfill the calling upon Samson's life, even if Samson wasn't. And God uses Samson's foolish and sinful choices to begin to deliver his people. Let's read in Judges 14, a whole block of scripture now. Let's read a bit more of Samson's story. Verses 5 to 20. Then Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah, and they came to the vineyards of Timnah. And behold a young lion came toward him roaring. Then the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with the woman and she was right in Samson's eyes. After some days he returned to take her and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion and behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion and honey. He scraped it out there we go. He scraped it out into his hands and went on, eating as he went. And he came to his father and mother and gave some to them, and they ate. But he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey from the carcass of the lion. His father went down to the woman, and Samson prepared a feast there, for so the young men used to do. As soon as the people saw him, they brought thirty companions to be with him. And Samson said to them, Let me now put a riddle to you. If you can tell me what it is within the seven days of the feast and find it out, then I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. But if you cannot tell me what it is, then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. And they said to him, put your riddle that we may hear it. And he said to them, out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. And in three days they could not solve the riddle. On the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, entice your husband to tell us what the riddle is, lest we burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us here to impoverish us? And Samson's wife wept over him and said, you only hate me. You do not love me. You have put a riddle to my people and you have not told me what it is. And he said to her, behold, I have not told my father nor my mother and shall I tell you? She wept before him the seven days of their feast lasted. And on the seventh day he told her because she pressed him hard. Then she told the riddle to her people. And the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, What is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, If you had not plowed with my heifer, here's a way with words, you would not have found out my riddle. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and he went down to Ashkelon and struck down 30 men of the town and took their spoil and gave the garments to those who had told the riddle. In hot anger, he went back to his father's house and Samson's wife was given to his companion who had been his best man. These verses reveal Samson's nature. Rebellious, proud, careless, impulsive. Without carefully studying these verses, we might just miss how shocking Samson's actions were. So let me highlight a couple of them for you quickly. Firstly, Samson touches the dead carcass of a lion. The Israelites were rendered unclean if they made contact with any corpse. But Samson wasn't just any Israelite, he was a Nazarite. And he was meant to dedicate himself to God by remaining clean and avoiding the dead. Yet he gave in to his carnal nature, took honey from the corpse and broke his Nazarite vow, rendering it completely void. Already at this point, the Nazarite vow is broken. And not only did he forsake his God-given vow, but he willingly desecrated his parents by giving them the honey as well. He didn't tell them where it was from, he just casually included his own parents in his sin. Secondly, the other thing I want to point out to us is that he initiated a seven-day drinking vendor. In verse 10 it says, Samson prepared a feast there, for so the young men used to do. And it sounds innocent enough, but Daniel Block, the scholar, he comments in this verse saying, the word for feast in this context refers to a seven-day drinking bout at the home of the bride's parents. In other words, Samson had a seven-day bucks party with his Philistine buddies. And in the process, he broke another part of his already broken Nazarite vow. He drank strong drink. He drank wine instead of devoting himself to the Lord and his purposes. Yet God had not forgotten his purpose for Samson. And through Samson's personal vengeance and anger, God began to break up the chummy relationship between Israel and the pagan Philistines. So the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and he was empowered to strike down 30 Philistines. God was working even through Samson's sin and rebellion. And this teaches us another important truth. God will always accomplish his purposes. He is so much higher than us, so much greater than us. He is so sovereign, so in control that he can even use sin and evil to achieve his good purposes. Now, we could sit back, be lazy and think that God will get done what he needs to get done without us, therefore. But this kind of sinful thinking comes with a great price. We see this in Samson's story. Yes, God may have used Samson's sin, but in the wake of his sin was a trail of heartbreak and destruction. And this is essentially the lesson of Psalm 16, verse 4, where it says, The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. The sorrows who run after anything other than God shall multiply. There is no life to be found anywhere else other than in the true God. But Samson ran after women and ran after his own desires and his sorrows multiplied because of this. Tragically, he loses the woman he loves. She's given to his best man. And later she is burnt alive by her own people. And this is what sin leads to. It always leads to death. Don't be fooled. If you want to rule your own life, it will lead to heartbreak. It will lead to sorrows. Romans 6 verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death. And Samson's life has already demonstrated this for us. And unfortunately, it continues only to demonstrate this truth. He goes back to his parents' home in hot anger after losing his bet. And in chapter 15, he goes back to to do the deed with the woman who was right in his eyes, his Philistine wife. But he finds out that she is no longer his. And he gets so angry that he has the energy to go out and catch 300 foxes. Now, I don't know how he did this. I mean, Jim and Ann Duchman tell me how hard it is to catch their chickens at home. So, I don't know how he did it, but he did. He caught 300 foxes and he ties firelit torches between each of their tails And sets them off into the fields and orchards of the Philistines. And the Philistines fight fire with fire, so they burnt his wife and her father alive. And the cycle of personal vengeance keeps on humming. And it says in Judges fifteen verse eight that he struck them hip and thigh with a great blow. And then he runs away to a place called Etam and hides in the cleft of a rock. And the Philistines they start raiding Judah to find Samson in order to find out where he is. So all of a sudden, the idolatrous peace between Israel and Philistia was being challenged. This was the chance for the people to wake up from their stupor and rid themselves of Philistine domination. But neither Samson nor Israel take this opportunity to drive out God's enemies. Instead, the men of Judah ironically go to bind the man that God had raised for their deliverance and hand him over to the Philistines. They wanted to live with this pagan nation. They were happy with things as they were. But the Lord was not going to allow that. So in verses 14 to 15, it says that the spirit of the Lord rushed upon Samson. And the ropes that were on his arms became as flax that has caught fire. And his bonds melted off his hands. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey and put out his hand and took it. And with it, he struck 1,000 men. Now, after this happens, we see Samson pray for the first time in his story. He is so thirsty after his battle with the Philistines that the servant of God actually opens his mouth for the first time to speak to God. And unfortunately, again, there isn't much good in it. Timothy Keller comments on the prayer saying, His prayer is neither humble nor faithful. He basically demands that God help him and complains that he doesn't, which is remarkably clueless of him. Since it is God's spirit which has rescued him from a lion, from a lost bed, and now from a thousand Philistines, Samson still hasn't learned his lesson. Is there anything that can actually humble this man? Well, sadly, he's going to have to drink even more from the dregs of sin before he can. And moving on into chapter 16, verse 1, we find Samson deep within Philistine territory. His lack of sexual control comes to the fore again when we read that he went into a Philistine prostitute. And after that, he makes his way to a place called the Valley of Sorek. And he becomes smitten with love for a woman by the name of Delilah. And this woman represents his final temptation. The laws of the Philistines see their opportunity. They know where the strong man's weakness lies. So they say to Delilah in 16 verse 5, seduce him. And see where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. And we will give, each give you eleven hundred pieces of silver. These lords were desperate to humble the proud, proud men of strength. So Delilah wastes no time. She doesn't have much cunning either. She just asks them point blank, "Please tell me where your great strength lies, and how you might be bound, so that one might, so that one could subdue you." And Samson, he just plays with fire. He doesn't remove himself from her, but stays within the grips of her seduction. And surely he must have known that this Philistine, why this Philistine woman would have asked this. But he was so enslaved to her beauty that he couldn't resist. He kept entertaining her questions until eventually he gives in and pours out his whole heart before her. And he told her his whole heart, And said to her, "A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man." His love for Delilah is so great that he tells her everything. Now Samson must defend himself. The Lord finally leaves him, and Delilah tells the Philistines to be ready. And while he was asleep, she has his hair cut, invites the Philistines into the room. And Judges 16, verse 21, it says, And the Philistine seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles, and he ground at the mill in the prison. God finally left Samson to his own devices. And this tragic downfall seems to have been the blow that finally instilled within him some humility the Philistines eventually call for Samson, their prisoner, while they are feasting and offering a a great sacrifice in the temple of their god, Dagon. They mock him and they mock Yahweh, Israel's god, by declaring their god, Dagon, victorious over Yahweh's servant, Samson. And while leaning against the pillars of Dagon's temple, Samson prays to God for the second time in the book. In Judges 16, verse 28, he says, O Lord God, Please remember me, and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. Now Timothy Keller comments on this, and he says, Always before, he has assumed that he will be strong. Now, for the first time, blind and weak, he simply asks, O sovereign Lord, remember me. O God, please strengthen me just once more. And let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. For perhaps the first time, he is exercising faith. It is true that there is no mention here of rescuing Israel, only of revenge for Samson's eyes. But there is a newfound humility here. Samson recognises that the God of Israel is sovereign. This is a very different Samson to the one who presumed upon his strength and who demanded that God give him water, without thanking him for his power. Samson's first display of faith results in his greatest feat. He destroys the temple of Dagon, kills the Lord of the Philistines and strikes down more than those whom he had killed during his life. Judges 16 verse 30. God granted the broken saviour one last victory. And this is the story of Samson. We are forced to grasp in this story with the fact that God would use someone who was so fatally flawed. Even more than that, we have to face that Samson is included in Hebrews 11 as an example of faith. Our reaction to these events will reveal how deeply we have accepted the gospel. And now if I'm honest, my first reaction ...to the fact that he is included in Hebrews 11 as one of disbelief. I mean, how can such a disobedient, reckless, adulterous, selfish man be included in the whole of faith? But the fact that that was my reaction scares me a little. Because that is the most—that that is the way that most people think about religion. Most people think that to be Christian is to be good. Most people think that God's favour is secured by our performance... But this stands against the gospel. The good news that we believe as Christ's followers. In Romans 5 verse 8 it says, But God shows his love for us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's grace is scandalous. And we all need to come to grips with the fact that we are far more like Samson than we would ever dare to believe. All of us have embraced idols, just like Samson did. All of us go astray. All of us have ruled our lives as if God doesn't exist. All of us have put God in a Sunday compartment or a religious compartment instead of surrendering our whole life to his rule. And you know what? He still died for you. He still gave his life for you. The truth is that in the story of Samson, God was the deliverer the whole time. He used every evil deed for his good purpose. And it's the same today. God has delivered us from the Philistines of sin and death and oppression. He took the initiative and he sacrificed his life, not for revenge, not to destroy his enemies, but to save his enemies. That's us. That's you and me. The good news of the gospel is grace. We can be forgiven. We can find freedom from our enslavement to our impulsive desires. We can enter back into relationship with a relentlessly loving Father because Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He loves you. There is nothing too dark, too broken in your life that His love cannot overcome. So will you accept His grace? Will you return to him? And that's the question I want to leave you with this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we've just looked together at a story with many shades of grey. Many tones of darkness, Lord. There's not much light. And Lord, we're confronted again with your scandalous grace. It's hard for us to understand how you can use someone that is so flawed. It's hard for us to believe that you can save people that are so broken, that are so rebellious. But that's what you did. You've given your life for us. Lord, would you just make your grace so real to us this morning? Would you fill us with your love We just want to surrender to your rule, Lord. We don't want to run after other gods. It just leads to sorrow. It just leads to death. Lord, help us open our eyes to see that you are the wellspring of life. You're the one that we want. We want to drink from that well, Lord. We don't want to drink from the broken wells, the broken sisters that hold no water. They're counterfeits. We want to drink from your well, Lord. Please, help us to learn from the story of Samson. Help us not to look down upon him, but to look to the cross and see how great a price that you paid for our sin. we thank you for what you've done. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.